This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Monroe. Alrighty, welcome back to Brojo Online. And I wanted to do one that was fun for myself today. I wanted to talk about a, a topic that's just one of my favorites. Psychopaths. Psychopathy. I was first introduced to what psychopaths and psychopathy really is when I was working in Department of Corrections and I had to actually manage criminal offenders who scored highly for psychopathy and some who were almost certainly you know, proper psychopaths. And from this just grew a fascination with this special type of human being who is so separate from the rest of us in terms of what a mammal is that they just blow my mind. And in particular, now that I'm a coach, seeing the effects that some people have had to experience of coming into contact with individuals who are almost certainly highly psychopathic, I thought it would be good to just share some of my thoughts and experiences and learnings. So for those of you out there listening to this who are almost certainly going to come into contact with psychopaths at regular intervals in your life, know what to do about it how to protect yourself from the damage that can be done, how to recognize them, and so on. I'm not a professional expert in psychopathy. I'm just a very enthusiastic, uh, what you might call field expert. done a lot of my own research on it, own self-directed learning, and of course I've had to manage psychopaths with the support of professional uh, guidance and tutors. So I'm pretty well trained when it comes to managing them. I haven't done any of the research myself, but I've read almost all of it that I can get my hands on. And so I'll share what I've learned, both in terms of theory, but most importantly in terms of practical, what to do about them in real life. Because they're going to get you. They've already done it before. You wouldn't have even known it was one of them. And uh, I want to help you with that. There's two books I want to start off by recommending. Uh, They're my two favorite pieces of literature about psychopaths from two of probably the most highly celebrated experts in psychopathy. And one is kind of pro-psychopathy. One is on the on the side of the fence that we need psychopaths in society and that they do some good in the world. And that's Kevin Dutton and his book, The Wisdom of Psychopaths. Excellent read about functioning psychopaths and how they contribute to the world. And then to balance that out, the other side of that from the the godfather of psychopathy who invented or helped to invent the psychopathy checklist, Robert Heer, uh, his book Without Conscience, is much a look at the much darker side of psychopathic criminals and, of course, the general scam artists and con artists that live amongst us. We're all fascinated with psychopaths, aren't we? Every second movie is somewhat related to them. They're, they walk among us. We both fear them for the damage and, and the ruthlessness that they're capable of. And we admire them because they're not burdened by so many of the insecurities and and struggles that us normal, regular folk are burdened by. You know, they're both James Bond and John Wayne Gacy. You know, we've got the guy we look up to and the guy we're terrified of, and both are psychopaths. So I'm going to talk a bit about what psychopathy is, my understanding of it, who they are how they get you, what you can do to protect yourself. I'm going to share some stories about psychopaths that I've had to deal with in my life, some of whom were confirmed by psychological assessment as being highly psychopathic, and others who I've made a judgment, I'm pretty sure they are, but 
they've never been in front of a psychologist for any sort of testing. And I'm going to finish up with a story about the worst one who ever got me, uh, the most damaging psychopath I've ever been in contact with, and the most convincing bullshit artist manipulator who's ever got inside my head. Let's start talking about what a psychopath is, because I think a lot of people have a basic understanding of psychopathy, but they often think of serial killers or hardcore criminals, and that's not really what psychopathy is. It's what a lot of psychopaths can become, but psychopathy is essentially what's known as a personality disorder. It's a weird term for it because the person's born that way and they never change. The word disorder generally refers to the kind of life they lead and the kind of harm they cause. But actually being a psychopath is probably a pretty fun time for most of them. So it's weird to say that they're disordered. It's more to say they are essentially a type of personality. And their type is really defined by some traits that make them significantly different from the average person. First and foremost, the most obvious one is almost zero empathy or conscience. They literally do not give a fuck about you. You are merely an object in their world. You're either of use to them or you're not. And when you're not, they will have no remorse, guilt or anything else about what they do to you. They have no sense of kind of right or wrong by general standards. They have their own rules of honor that they might live by, but those rules might have little to do with the health and well-being of other living animals and humans. So they really just don't feel bad about anything they do. They don't even hesitate unless they're just trying to preserve themselves. Because of this, they have zero ability to love or connect. They cannot have real friends or real relationships. They merely accumulate possessions. A psychopath can kill his own child as easily as he can kill a bug. There's no connection there. The only connection can be a possessiveness. I own this child. He is mine. But there's, that is not any sense of emotional connection. It is just possession. They are ruthless. By ruthless, I mean they don't have the hesitation to make really big, mind-blowing, life-shattering decisions that most people have. The impact they have on others isn't much of a factor in their decision-making. They only consider that if it's going to then, of course, be an impact on themselves. Like, say, they want to stay out of prison, they might moderate their behavior. But in terms of harming people destroying property, anything like that, they'll do whatever it takes. They go straight through to what they want. They don't go around or under. They're very, very ambitious, but they're not ambitious in a long-term way. They're more ambitious in a blind, moment-by-moment, instant gratification way. They want it all, and they want it all now, and they behave accordingly. Now, some very high-functioning psychopaths are capable of setting long-term plans and achieving them, But if you look closely at their lives, you'll see throughout the way there's lots of instant gratification. Lots of things like drug use and philandering and cheating and cook-to-temper violence and theft and all these kinds of things like, I want it now, so I'll take it now. There's a range of psychopaths in the terms of how well they function. Generally, the ones we find in prison, uh, unless they're white-collar criminals, tend to be low-functioning or low-intelligence 
when it comes to psychopaths. So you can be a psychopath with low IQ. There's a bit of a myth that all psychopaths are very intelligent. It's not the case. They are known for that. But low intelligence psychopaths often end up in prison and kind of stay there. They don't have any sense when it comes to self-preservation. Or you can have high-functioning psychopaths who may never go to prison their entire lives and may never even be found out as being a psychopath until all the dust settles. They can, they can get away with things for a very long time if they're high-functioning. The way I've come to see them is essentially being an intelligent reptile. The midbrain, the limbic system where we have emotional connection and other regulators, is really low-functioning in psychopaths. But the brain stem, the re- reptilian part of the brain, and the neocortex, the human intelligent part of the brain, is very high-functioning. So they're essentially like a crocodile with really big brains. So they might be quick to anger, but they don't really experience any other emotions or the kind of restriction that other emotions might place on them. They're not restricted by the stuff that we are. So they're like a very smart reptile, and it's important to to see them this way. You know, just like that snake you own never really loves you, you're just a piece of food that's too big to eat, and that's the only reason it leaves you alone, psychopaths are kind of like that. They have many strengths because of this. One of those is their ability to be very present and focused and unfazed in their goal setting. So a psychopath isn't worried about the future or depressed about the past. They are very much here and now. And they're able to achieve things quickly and react with like really smart moves where most people would panic and make stupid decisions because of their presence. They are generally self-preserving, but not from fear. So a psychopath might see that it's smarter to stay out of prison than it is to go in it, and will take you know, some moderation to his behavior to achieve that goal. But it's not because he's afraid of going to prison. It's just more of a calculation of uh, reasonable risk. They are emotionally, essentially they are fearless. Okay, They do not have... And they often cannot even understand the concept of fear. For them, and for most that have been interviewed and asked about it, their understanding of fear is facial expressions in other people. They know when someone else is afraid. They don't know what that person is feeling. They do know when put in the same position, like if you ask them, how would you feel if someone pointed a gun in your face? The closest they can get to is a form of excitement. They enjoy it. They have a very high pain tolerance and a high fear threshold, so... They can really do a lot more risky stuff than we can do. Um, And for that reason, they can achieve either very highly or they end up in prison or dead because of reckless behavior. It's really important to notice that despite the kind of, I don't know, aggrandizement you see in movies, psychopaths are notoriously difficult to see. The average person is swindled by psychopaths because they do not appear to be what they are. They're very charming. Okay, well, they can be. Uh, They have the ability to essentially take on a chameleon-like existence where they walk among us and you have no idea. They do not stand out. The Hannibal Lecter character with his creepy voice and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's a caricature. The real psychopath looks like your best mate, your brother, that clever, funny guy at work. He doesn't look like a classic psycho from your, you know, kind of what we think of them as they're very superficial they can mimic emotions convincingly but they don't really feel them the really smart psychopaths will do a lot of reading and research on psychology they watch people closely 
they learn which emotion is happening and what it looks like, but they're basically acting. They don't really feel it. But they can put on the tears, they can look distraught, they can look worried, but there's a superficial nature to it. It's quick-lasting, it doesn't seem to hold them back from uh, whatever it is they're doing, and they can quickly change as needed. They have an extraordinary ability to lie. One of my sort of anecdotal findings with working with psychopaths was how uncomfortable they were with telling the truth. You know, when everybody else was lying, all the other criminals I worked with were lying, it was almost kind of obvious. You, you kind of wondered how they ever got away with it. When a psychopath lies, it's the one time you think they're telling the truth. They can even tell you something that you know from file information is incorrect, and then you doubt the file information. It's so convincing. Yet what's quite funny is when they do actually tell the truth, they show all the body language of someone who's lying, so they're kind of reversed in my experience. Not only can they lie really well, when they're caught out in a lie, they can adapt to that really easily. To the point where you wonder if they really were lying. Even when you prove them wrong, they can switch so quickly from that, that it, it, there's no sort of guilt or shame or shock in being caught. They just maneuver around it. Narcissism and grandiosity uh, are common traits with, with psychopaths. They love themselves and they see themselves as the best thing in the world and that's not really an exaggeration we are all just puppets in their world we're just objects to be moved around for their pleasure they often talk in terms of being more intelligent and more skilled and more beautiful and more charming and more interesting than other people and they do so with a real shamelessness just like they're talking about what is true it's really important to understand that all of these traits you'll you'll start thinking that half the people you know are psychopaths but What I'm talking about is not just someone who's a bit of a dick, or a bit narcissistic, or a bit unemotional. I'm talking about a very extreme case, okay? For someone to be a psychopath, they have to be very extreme in the traits that we're talking about. It has to be consistent and persistent over time. They were like this since the day they were born, and nothing changes them. Okay, you'll meet some people who are a bit cold and unemotional because they're traumatized. That's not a psychopath. That's someone who's got suppressed emotion. You might see someone who's ruthless and ambitious in their career, but they're very loving with their children. That's not a psychopath. A psychopath, it's persistent across all areas of life and all time. They've always been like this. They'll always be like this in the future. They can and will destroy lives without a thought, without a hesitation, and they'll do it any time. There's actually a great... um, God, I'm going to have to remember it. Is it called Dark Minds or something? There's a program on Netflix at the moment, a series about the FBI agents who were the the first to kind of categorize serial killers and understand them better. And they're interviewing one guy. It's all based on real people. One guy, he's got this pet bird that he's kept in prison. It seems to be very um, attached to the bird. And then one of the guys accuses him of being a bit of a pussy. And just to show that he's not, he just throws the bird into a ceiling fan and kills it with zero hesitation. That's a psychopath. The psychopath can go along just fine and then do this massive move out of nowhere with no prep time or planning that just destroys everything and then they carry on like nothing happened. Okay, we're talking about very extreme personalities here, not just people who are a bit of a dick. This is a nature versus nurture thing. It's really a nature thing to be a psychopath. You are born one. 
Okay. There are some people who can develop psychopathy. That is, they can adopt some of the traits of psychopaths over time. Um, but a true psychopath, you might say, or someone who's born highly psychopathic, there's very little you can do to influence them. Whether they become functional or antisocial may depend on upbringing. So if you severely abuse and neglect a psychopath as a child, they're probably more likely to be a serial killer sort of thing. If you raise them really well, they're probably more likely to just become like a scammy banker or something like that. But there isn't really even that much impact there. They'll be whatever they want to be, whatever's best for them. It's almost impossible to deliberately influence them. Rehabilitation has zero impact on them. It's one of the few things that the prison system um, took a while to catch up on was actually when you put psychopaths into treatment programs, they end up coming out worse rather than better because they use the treatment program as a place to practice manipulation as well as a way to avoid harsher penalties. So a psychopath in prison will go do a domestic violence rehabilitation program just to get out of prison earlier, and actually all he learns is how to manipulate therapists and group facilitators. And to actually engage in talk therapy with a psychopath, to engage in like typical psychological intervention with a psychopath, usually is just a way of them sharpening their tools. They learn how to convince a psychologist, and if you can convince a psychologist, then you can trick just about anyone. So some of them will even seek psychological intervention so that they can train and learn what they need to do to impress the parole board or whatever. But really there's nothing at this stage, at the time of this recording, we really don't have fuck all that we can do to moderate or influence psychopaths, okay? They are the single most difficult personality type to have any effect on. So if you're with one, you're not going to change them, okay? Now it's important to dispel a bit of a myth, the idea that all psychopaths are criminals and serial killers. That's not the case. While they do operate outside conventional rules quite often, psychopaths can be anything. They can be con artists who never break the law but scam and scheme all the same. They can be Navy SEALs or high-ranking military who can be relied on to go into high-risk situations without sweating. They can be Olympic athletes or high performers in sports who have the discipline, focus and ruthless aggression to achieve really highly. They could even be the President of the United States. I highly suspect that a number of former presidents were high in psychopathy. You know, I think of John F. Kennedy and all his sort of womanizing and his charm and his brilliant speeches, I think. Psychopath. It's also important to understand that psychopathy is on a spectrum. So it's not like you're either a psychopath or you're not. It's how high are you in psychopathic traits, how highly do you score on the checklist kind of thing. Even I am high in some psychopathic traits. Essentially, there's three areas that we can be assessed on, and I'm high on two of them. The only thing I'm low on is lack of empathy. I, I have a lot of empathy for people, and I experience emotions myself, but everything else, I'm kind of quite high. I'm kind of ruthless and narcissistic. But the prevalence of real psychopaths is estimated to be about 1-3%. to 3%. So 1-3 to 3 out of 100 people you know. Uh, or have met in your life, are probably actual psychopaths. That goes up to about 20 or 30% in prison. So obviously prison is much more higher representation. But 
Very few of the people that you think are psychopaths just from hearing a brief amateur description of the list actually will be, because the real ones are rare, though not so rare that you'll never meet them. You'll come into contact with them. I'll give you a couple examples. There's the example of the kind of more stereotypical ruthless killer. There's a guy I worked with who was a hitman for the Headhunters gang in New Zealand. Now, his job was actually go to other gangs and demand money from them, just with sheer intimidation. And quite frankly, one of the scariest individuals I've ever met. You know, about he had to go sideways through doors because of how big he was, covered in tats in all the right places. He could stare you down with these cold, dead eyes um, without flinching. Uh, he could make threats in a soft voice that just made you shit yourself. He was just pure, ruthless killer. I heard that when he was in prison, he basically ran the thing, even though he was only 20 years old. You know, that's the proper killer-type psychopath. You know, a hitman, a leader, dominate by force. In a sense, what he is is an unsophisticated psychopath. He just used force and ruthlessness and dominance, but he spent a lot of time in prison because of that approach. You compare that with another guy, very, very charming. Again, he was pretty big, and I knew from his rap sheet that he's more than capable of violence, but, you know, you're trying to manage this guy and get him to obey these rules, and just half the time you're cracking up laughing because of how hilarious he is. You know, he was just so charming, I couldn't help but look forward to seeing him each week. Now, he's kind of guy, if you saw him, you'd cross the road because of all the tats and the muscles, but... When you actually met him, he made you feel like the most special person in the room. Yet time after time in the conversation with him, the conversation would end and I'd realise, oh, I forgot to talk to him about the important legal thing. You know, and that just kept happening. He somehow used to just steer me away from the things we needed to talk about. And it came to light pretty soon that he was lying constantly. You know, he, he would make up jobs that he had and relationships he had. He would make up things that he didn't even need to make up. He'd tell me lies that he didn't need to tell me. There was no gain in making these things up. And yet he was doing, um, oh, what's the term for it? They, I can't remember how, what they call it, but um, psychopaths just enjoy, what was it, duping? Dupe pleasure or something like that? They enjoy conning you just for the sake of conning you. It doesn't need to have further goal. They like to see that they get away with their lies. So they'll tell you lies that don't even have any relevance or any gains for them. And he was just basically 99% of what he said was bullshit, but I believed 99% of it, you know, until I checked the facts later. And then my favorite was actually a pair of brothers, one of whom was in the criminal justice system for being a serial killer. He's one of New Zealand's only serial killers, very high profile. I managed him. And he was very convincing in all, all the rest as well, but he was clearly someone who just killed if people got in his way. He had that kind of ruthlessness, and he was just so smug and so dishonest about it all, and he played it up so that he could use it to get attention and everything. And he had this brother who was a very high-profile politician, um, who'd been on TV, very charm and charming and smooth. And some of you, if you're from New Zealand, you'll know the brothers I'm talking about. And I suspect his brother was also highly psychopathic. Because while he was all charming and sophisticated and didn't go the path of crime like the first guy, he did run a trust out where I worked that turned out to be incredibly scammy. They got a lot of money 
from the government to rehabilitate people and didn't use that money for that reason. All the hallmarks of psychopathy there, the charm, the glib, the lying, the ruthlessness, the ambition, and two brothers. And that's probably not that surprising given that there's a high genetic factor to psychopathy that science doesn't quite understand yet, but I have no doubt within the next couple of decades it will be revealed how you can predict psychopathy in, in newborns. So that's just some of the examples of, of, of a couple of people I've dealt with. Um, and what really blew my mind was, even though these guys were criminals, they could have tricked me. And they did, on multiple occasions. But they could have really tricked me. If I was just some person who fell into their web of scams, I would have fallen for it. They didn't stand out as being psychopaths. They didn't stand out as being significantly different from other humans of their type. Let's talk about some of the real-life examples. I want you guys to start opening your minds as to who psychopaths can be and where they tend to congregate. A lot of this is my own sort of judgment, and you'll just have to take it with a big grain of salt because I'm not a professional expert when it comes to psychopathy, but I have done a lot of, a lot of research into this, a lot of studying of it, a lot of training from top psychologists, and a lot of working with top psychopaths. There's some examples that you really need to be wary of. One that's come up recently, psychics. Anybody that runs a scam where you're in front of a room deliberately lying, using techniques that are very easy to debunk, and yet having the balls to just do it and trust that your, your confidence will take you through. I mean, psychics have got to be some of the worst. They're the most obvious because there is zero evidence for someone being able to speak to the dead. And if you investigate any psychic you will find they're all using the same techniques that everything they do can be explained by cold reading or hot reading psychological techniques. And any of them, when tested, cannot do accurate psychic predictions. If you put them in a position where they cannot use techniques and must use psychic ability, they always fall down. There's never been an exception to that, ever. Okay. And you can look up, uh, God, what's his name? There's a big bearded guy on... on YouTube, ah, God, what's his name? His whole job is to debunk psychics, and you can just see him just taking them to pieces. All the like biggest high-profile psychics just pulls them apart. So these are so these are people who use the grief that people have to empty their wallets. It's almost only a psychopath who can go to that level of ruthlessness to take someone at their lowest low and turn it into a money-making scheme. You know, that's a, that is a breeding ground, or should I say that is a hunting ground for psychopathy. Anywhere where someone's weak from grief and loss, the psychopaths swarm. Their managers, any of you who have had a decent, decently long career with a bit of variation, will have eventually had a boss where everybody under him knew he was a fucking dick and hated him, but everyone above him thought he was gold. And he just seemed to be totally self-serving, totally uncaring, and yet looked great to all the right people. It's not to say that definitely was a psychopath, but that's the kind of thing you see. This very glib, superficial charm that gets them places, and they can really rise up the ladder quite highly, and yet there's no merit to it. They haven't earned it. The people who create pyramid schemes, you know, multi-level marketing, the guys who, who invent this stuff, you can see it when they run their sort of events and they go up on stage and there's fireworks and shouting and all sorts of really hypey techniques. 
And yet they've created something where people are often left destitute. You know, where huge percentages of the people who are their clients or so-called family, they often say, are left worse off than when they started. And yet no attempt at reparation, no attempt at support, as long as he gets paid. High-ranking church officials. I mean, how long has it been going? The Catholic Church is starting to look more like a group of pedophiles than actually a group of priests. And again, this is one of those hunting grounds that's really, really easy for for psychopaths to immerse themselves. And it's really easy to climb up the ranks of the church. You don't need to be born into it. You just need to learn how to make the right connections and say the right words. And so if you're ruthless about money or child molesting, you know, the Catholic Church is a great place for you to go. And it's not to say that Catholicism causes pedophiles. It's just that it's a great hunting ground. So many high-ranking church officials have been thought of as very, very dangerous. And not just the ones in the Catholic Church doing all the molesting, but if you think about those kind of, I don't know what they are. They call themselves bishops sometimes. They're the the evangelists who run huge things on TV and they live in monster mansions and everything like that. And yet they seem to specialize in targeting poor people. You know, these are not pious men, okay? They are psychopaths scamming the biggest scam of all time. Religion is such a perfect scam for the psychopath. It's so easy to use somebody's faith to empty their wallet. So psychopaths swarm towards religious organizations. CEOs, bankers, stockbrokers, anything that's got a lot of money and few rules, that's a great place for psychopaths to play. You know, the reason that the the stock market both crashes and escalates is because of psychopaths. They're the ones taking the big risks that make the rise and fall happen. You know, they play around with other people's lives, other people's money like it's nothing, right? And then in our everyday lives, the players, the guys who just go around shagging chick after chick as if she's nothing, regularly cheating and lying and deceiving in order to get into bed, and the gold diggers. You know, the woman going around entrapping rich men and depriving them of their assets and repeating this over and over again with no remorse, not even caring about the kids that come out of this. You know, that's the kind of thing you see in everyday life, not in prison, everyday life right in front of you. We've took, we're looking at highly psychopathic individuals. The ruthlessness, the ambition, the life destruction, the, the charm. The ability to come across as the best person in a situation where they're clearly the worst. I'm even going to go out on a limb here. I'm not even sure if this <laughs> this might be bordering on the line of uh, defamation. But there are some people out there who I've looked at closely in the public space who I believe are psychopaths or highly psychopathic. In New Zealand, I have to say the top one that sticks out to me, Brian Tamaki, the, the leader of the Destiny's Church. Destiny's Church has a real focus on specializing on the lowest rung of society. They look for the poor, the broken, the criminals. They enlist them as a kind of army of recruiters, quite an aggressive army, uh, who have no problem with disrupting other people's events or destroying competition with violence. And yet he's got this huge church and this mansion and this boat, and he's so flashy and so glib and superficial as is his wife, who I would suspect is also highly psychopathic, have done well to find each other, profiting off the poor, quite clearly, 
and not really giving anything back and not really caring about being called out for it either. You know, that's a classic one with a psychopath. They don't get defensive, which kind of throws you off. You're like, hey, you're doing something that's really fucked up. And they're like, oh, I'm moving on. You're like, oh, was I wrong? A normal person gets defensive. So I'd put Brian Tamaki right at the top of my list in terms of new high-profile New Zealand psychopaths. Uh, David Wolf, David Avocado Wolf. If you're not familiar with him, he's all over the internet with memes and shit. He's the guy that says gravity is a toxin. He often uh, plays this card where, like, on the internet, he'll use a lot of other people's material that's really popular, and then he'll throw his little shit in there. He's the kind of guy to sell you crystals to cure your cancer, to tell you that going to see a doctor is bad for you. And he does so to sell his shit, and no other reason. He's even managed to somehow get himself into like large-scale events and conferences with real medical practitioners. He was uh, about to go to one recently that my friend, who's a Wim Hof instructor, was going to go to, and eventually he was finally the audience, you know, demanded that he that David Wolf was taken off the bill. But he's, he's a great example. He's been called out by scientists so many times for giving super harmful advice to innocent, desperate strangers. And yet he never cares about it. He always, he always responds as if he's right. Uh, and he calls all science a scam and a conspiracy and his stuff as being the only way. He gives you the impression he actually believes what he's saying. I'd put him right at the top as well. Uh, Rolf Harris, the entertainer much loved in the UK for many years, for decades and decades and decades, uh, until it was discovered that he was a raging pedophile, uh, and he's now serving time in prison. That kind of very high-profile entertainer that everyone loves, suddenly and shockingly, like Bill Cosby, turning out to be this fucking monster, that's all the hallmarks of psychopathy there. You know, my... Turns out my grandparents actually hung out with Rolf Harris at some stage. And there's pictures of him with my grandmother. And you can actually see him, like, trying to grope her. Um, you know, and at the time, she, my grandmother was apparently very uncomfortable with him. So he was like this blatantly in front of people. He didn't hide who he really was. He just got away with it. Because he was so charming, so confident, so high profile. You know, zero remorse, zero guilt. Colin Fry, he's a, a, a public psychic. He's just an example of the classic public psychic, the one who goes on television and does shows and may even like do shows for celebrities and go on talk shows and stuff like that. So blatantly using classic manipulation, cold reading techniques uh, in front of huge worldwide audiences and not batting an eyelid. Full confidence, zero fear, and just depriving grieving people of their finances you know classic classic psychopathy this one's going to be a bit of a, a rough call but i'd have to say gwyneth paltrow now i could be wrong about this one i could be wrong about all of them but gwyneth paltrow runs this uh, health organization thing called goop and if you've ever had a look at it she sells some pretty bullshit stuff on there i mean there's the classic essential oils and homeopathy and cancer cures that are so clearly not anything scientific but she'll also sell crystals that cure cancer you know and, and she has no problem with this and yet she's also an incredibly gifted actress now psychopaths are incredibly gifted at acting they can make you believe she's all soft-spoken and appears to be humble and 
All these things, we often think of psychopaths as being aggressive, but the really convincing ones go under our radar. And so I'd flag her for careful um, careful observation. She's doing a lot of the stuff that psychopaths like to do. And she's getting away with it. And she's profiting massively off it. And she's doing it so boldly and, and just so shamelessly. And yet I wonder, is she even capable of feeling? Bernie Madoff. You know, the number one pyramid scheme of all pyramid schemes. He, he took so many people down with him. He actually got life sentences for a financial crime. To be able to destroy that many lives, not just knowingly, but calculatingly, to actually make a business off the destruction of people's livelihoods knowingly, um, with intelligence and planning and careful deliberation, it's almost impossible to do that without being a psychopath. Okay, even, you know, even like highly trained Navy SEALs and stuff still get post-traumatic stress from from killing a few people. Bernie Madoff destroyed hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions of lives with his work. And at his court case, he's crying about his own uh, incarceration, you know. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. One last one, just to throw another female in there. A woman named Sarah Jane Parkinson recently got convicted of a false rape allegation. Now, her ex-partner did a lot of prison time because of this allegation. Now, I think there's a lot of false rapists, uh, false rape allegation women out there um, who are high in psychopathy because it's such a ruthless, shitty thing to do to somebody. You know, I can understand wanting to, like, burn someone's clothes or key their car if you're a bit loose up top. But she actually planned out a crime scene. This wasn't a heat-of-the-moment thing. This was careful, deliberate, and cold-blooded. She just took the man's life apart over some slight, this this inconvenience that he had become. And you can see this in psychopaths, where the, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Where you, you if you piss off a psychopath, you get in their way, they absolutely destroy you. You know, they, they have zero tolerance or zero consideration for someone getting in their way. Now, I gave those examples for one reason uh, only. And that these are examples of psychopaths who destroy lives. And the real reason I want to do this podcast, I guess, with this huge fucking build-up, is to talk about how you can stop this happening to you. How can you stop these kinds of people, these big names, these... Sp- charming impossible to see predators from wrecking your life now i've actually already done an entire podcast on managing manipulation i'm not going to repeat that here all you have to do is search for managing manipulation on google or or in soundcloud and you'll find my stuff there so i'm not going to talk about that what i'm going to talk about is how it is that they get you in terms of how they find you and how they get through your defenses okay So first and foremost, as I've already pointed out, confidence and charisma goes a long way. We are really psychologically biased to believe confidence. Okay, the more confident someone appears to be, the more we believe them. Which is ironic because the most intelligent people do not really speak with confidence. If you think about the top scientists, if you've ever read a scientific report from the brightest minds in quantum physics, they talk like, This might suggest that maybe sometimes this kind of thing could happen in the right circumstances, but not in this time. 
you know, they're very careful and cautious about calling anything a fact, you know, and even this is one of the difficulties with psychopaths, the psychologists who are there to assess them are very cautious about calling someone a psychopath because it's such a big thing to call someone. And because they're cautious, of course, psychopaths can get away without being recognized. A psychopath will be very, very convincing with very, very little evidence. They can say a lot of stuff and you don't even feel the need to check up on it. You know, they can tell you about 15 amazing things that they achieved before breakfast and it doesn't occur to you that it sounds like a lot of things. They just sound so sure of themselves. So that's, this charisma is one of the ways that they get you is when someone sounds so sure of themselves, you can't even imagine that it could be false. You don't even have the capacity for critical thinking. You're just convinced. And and because we're living in quite an anti-scientific uh, world at the moment, there's there's a lot of 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 uh, ironically a lot of skepticism about skepticism. So people who think critically and question things are often derided and and, and punished in the public space. And yet this is the breeding ground or the hunting ground for psychopathy. If you don't question things, if you don't double check, they get away with shit. Another one, another thing, psychopaths are very good at picking targets. They know how to see your weaknesses or find them and use it against you. The real reason that you're susceptible to being taken apart by psychopaths and other manipulators is because you have needs and you have shames. Okay, you have things that you think you need that you don't have, and you have things that you hide about yourself because you're ashamed of it. Those two things are your weak points. So if, for example, you're single and you think you need a girlfriend, any attractive female psychopath can destroy you. Okay, she'll take that need and use it against you. And let's say you had a traumatic past that you don't want anyone to know about, any psychopath that gets that hold of that information will twist and turn it to control you. So whatever you hide and whatever you desire, those are your weak points, which gives you a clue as to how you make yourself strong. If you don't have those things, nobody can get you. It's impossible to blackmail someone who has no secrets, as I often say. So understand, psychopaths aren't really looking for difficult targets that often. They're looking for the easy mark. They're looking to win more than anything. And the more needs and the more shame someone have, the more likely they are to be targeted. This is often why, say, women in abusive relationships just go from one abusive relationship to another. They might have one psychopath after another as a partner. Somehow they're, they're finding all of them, while their best friend who's confident never has a psychopathic partner. You know, So you send up essentially a signal flare with your, your, your insecurities. Um, that psychopaths can see and they come towards you. They're also multi-tactic and adaptable, so they will try the different manipulation types I talked about in my manipulation podcast until they find one that sticks with you. You know, I had the the, the killer guy that I mentioned before, the hitman for, for the headhunters. You know, when I first met him, he tried to be really intimidating, and I used a, a technique to deal with that. And the next time he came in, he was crying and trying to get sympathy from me. I used a technique to deal with that. And the next time he came in, he just overwhelmed me with all this information. I got really distracted and confused. So I used a technique to, to um, deal with that. And the next time he came in and pushed some boundaries and did some dodgy stuff to see how I'd react. 
and I had to use technique. He just kept, he was like a different person every time I saw him. I had no idea what the real him was. I think I got a glimpse of it every time he was upset and I could see his eyes go dead. But he could be all these different characters and he was just trying to find one that clicked with me, you know. Eventually he got me for a little while by telling me I was the only probation officer who he wasn't able to manipulate. I didn't realize <laughs> that was a manipulation. You know, that was flattery. And that worked out for him for a couple of weeks. Didn't really get him anything, but he definitely got me there. So they'll, they'll maneuver around. They'll find what your thing is. And then they'll really, like, uh, play that card strongly. Quite often their past will be a mystery. See, the classic psychopath has a trail of misery behind them. You know, especially if they're dysfunctional. They've got a lot of broken relationships and dodgy financial situations and destroy property and crime and everything hanging behind them and they'll hide this with stories they'll either won't let you talk about the past or they'll just make up a past so you'll hear a lot about their past necessarily but you won't see evidence of it for example you might not meet any friends that they have you might not get to meet their family they might tell you about things they did but they can never take you to show you those things you know they might they won't be able to show you where they used to work for example They've got this past that sounds really convincing, but there's no evidence for it and no way to check up on it without digging deep. They get you with boldness too. You know, psychopaths can just take such incredible risks because they literally cannot worry about the future or regret the past. There's nothing holding them back. And it's just so bold that it's just convincing. When somebody comes up to you and says, look, I really need to borrow your cars just for 24 hours. I'll bring it right back. Uh, I know we've only just met, but I am desperate here because my girlfriend's dying, blah, blah, blah. You're just like, well, no one would try a scam that obvious, right? No one would try to steal my car by talking to me about it. Here's the keys. And goodbye car. You know, so they've got that kind of boldness that it's, it's just too much to question. And they know how to use group manipulation. You can see this, like, say, Brian Tamaki with the Destiny's Church. They know how to recruit people to do their work for them. Gang leaders are really good at this. There's a lot of leadership qualities uh, you'll see in psychopaths. You know, they're the lone wolf, but they often have followers or people that are twisted to their ends. You'll see, you'll see there's uh, quite a few serial killers who are pairs, you know, partners. And what you often get is one psychopath with one severely disordered person of some other type, say a schizophrenic or a bipolar or something like that. And the psychopath would use the, the, the disordered person as their weapon. But they can do this with entire groups. They can put you under peer pressure. They can turn the whole office against you. They can turn your friends and family against you. They can make it so you're the only one who looks crazy. And they can do this both real and imagined. They can do this with real people. They can make you think that other people are following them. So, of course, like I said in my other manipulation podcast, they can use all of the manipulation techniques against you. Intimidation, flattery, invalidation, distraction. But this is how they find you. Confidence and charisma, picking their targets carefully, using different tactics, hiding who they really are, boldness and group manipulation. Now, the thing is, if you can manage psychopathic manipulation, you can manage any manipulation. You know, you can't control them, so it's all about controlling yourself. If you can control yourself under the influence of a psychopath, then no one's ever going to be able to fuck with you. So what's great about working with psychopaths, in my experience, 
was that they were the, the best training for managing manipulation. I could not be better at manipulation than they are. I couldn't outgame them. So I was forced to learn how to resist and defend myself and protect myself from their like overwhelming power of influence. And because I could handle them most of the time, some of them slip through and I'll talk about that at the end. You know, the average person who's just trying some little guilt trip on me or something is so obvious and so unsophisticated and so easy to deflect that I just don't get suckered by people anymore. Not much anyway. Of course, I always have to be weary that I can be at any time because uh, arrogance about being unable to be manipulated makes you really open to manipulation. I'm going to give you some tips about what really works and what you need to think about when it comes to protecting yourself against psychopathy. One thing is that in order for it to work, they need you to be quiet about it. What you often get is when a psychopath is manipulating one person, if you were to be an outside observer, it would be really obvious to you that this is happening. So psychopaths don't let other people watch with what's going on here unless they're really good at group manipulation. So, for example, a psychic might see your grieving mother, but you're not allowed to attend the session because it'll be so obvious to you if you're watching from the outside that this is all bullshit. But if you're just your mum and it's spoken directly to you, it's going to be really convincing. If you want to protect yourself, you have to humble yourself. You have to be open with other people about how you're treated and what's going on. If you've got a kind of reliable, loving family and, and social circle or group peers or whatever, you know, work colleagues, and they're all voicing concerns about someone in your life. You're going to feel this need to resist against that concern, to abandon everyone else in favor of this one person. But that's the kind of, that's the kind of situation a psychopath operates in. It's isolating you from the group. It's classic predatory behavior. You pull the sick one away from the herd and you pick them off. You need to keep other people in your life. You need to listen to their concerns. Now, you'll know from experience whether or not somebody's worth listening to. You might have really critical, judgmental family members who hate everybody. That's not who I'm talking about. If you've got loving, caring friends who have always been good to you and treated you with respect, and they're saying, hey, your new boyfriend creeps me the fuck out, and you know it's so dodgy that he does this and does that, and I'm really worried about you, you need to listen to them, especially if those concerns are repeated and coming from different people. Okay? If you feel lots of, if you hear lots of concern about someone and yet you feel really awesome about them, it's time to start checking evidence. Now it could be maybe your friends and family just don't see what you see, but that could be the problem. It could be that they're not being conned like you are. Okay, it's very rare for a genuine, respectful, healthy person to raise tons of concerns unless the people who are raising the concern are all fucked up themselves. <laughs> my 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 girlfriend's grandmother was really worried about me because I had tattoos and stuff, right? But then she met me and she's cool with me now. Like someone raising that kind of superficial judgmental concern is not what I'm talking about. But if someone's like, fuck, it's really bad that you keep lending him money or like, I just don't like the way he talks to you or fuck, when I was left alone with him, I felt really intimidated. When they're saying stuff like that, your first instant... To, to resist against him and say, leave my boyfriend alone, he's wonderful. That's actually what he's done to you, sort of thing. So being open about how you're being treated and being open to receiving that feedback from outside observers, that's a really great way to keep yourself safe. And it's the number one thing that most people get wrong. When I worked in Department of Corrections for many years, in fact, the entire history of Department of Corrections until I got there, 
had never done like group um, reflection. And after a while, when we started getting trained in managing manipulation, we realized we need to be talking to each other about what happened in our sessions because some people were getting really conned, um, but they were isolated from the rest, you know, and some psychopaths were actually turning us against each other. So we started having sessions where it'd be like, you know what, I came out of that session feeling a bit weird, I want to talk about it. And somebody would give us feedback and say, yeah, I think you've been duped, you know, and it'd be really helpful, but we had to be open to that feedback. Psychopaths are revealed by what they do and they're hidden by what they say, okay? The psychopath's real weapon is his words. He knows how to fucking talk and he's a talker. And he talks so convincingly that you feel no real compulsion to check for evidence. But as a general rule, people should be measured by what they do rather than what they say, by their behavioral patterns rather than their words. It's a good practice to get into because when you do come across a psychopath, you'll be prepared. When it comes to your friends and family, rather than like, well, I've loved them this long or they say they're going to do it again and blah, blah, blah. Whatever they say, fuck that. What did they do? You should be journaling on a regular basis about the behavior that the people in your life engaged in, how they treated you. You know, I had someone just the other day saying, oh, my friend and I had a conversation. So he'd labeled this person as friend. And he told me about the conversation. The friend was critical, unsupportive, judgmental, guilt-tripping, manipulating. I was like, how is that a friend? That sounded like the most unfriendly conversation I could possibly imagine. It sounded like a conversation with your fucking enemy. And yet he was so busy, like, you know, so convinced by the person's words of them saying, I'm your friend, I'm here for you, blah, 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 at other occasions, that he couldn't see this clear behavior of judgment and criticism and manipulation. Psychopaths are often revealed quite quickly when you test their words to see what they've actually done. When you check their promises and their claims, you'll find just falsehoods all across the board. Psychopaths are like compulsive liars, right? So they say something, yeah, I'm working for Bob now. Check if they are working for Bob, right? It only takes a few checks to find a psychopath. If you've got someone new in your life who makes a lot of fantastic claims and sounds really interesting, just check into like three of them. See what you find. There are some amazing people out there and your three checks will reveal three pieces of evidence. But if you find like, hey, this is a dead end and that never happened and this dude, this university claims we've gone to doesn't even exist, you know, there's some big red flags there. So psychopaths are only a few layers deep. They claim to be experts. They can sound like experts when they're talking about a topic. They're really good at talking. But if you poke and prod and go deeper and deeper, they struggle. You know, someone like David Wolf will say, gravity is a toxin. And you go, okay, so what is gravity? Tell us about the science of gravity. You're going to find him floundering. Well, actually, he'll probably just divert into a different conversation. But you find that his expertise on the topic is very fucking limited. He's got enough just to get through a few paragraphs, a few sentences to convince, you know, the easily convinced. Dig deeper into people who make fantastic claims and see how far their knowledge goes and then double check it. But probably the main thing to make yourself essentially immune as possible to manipulation is to be able to service your own needs, complete independence and resourcefulness. You know, I talked before about needs and shames. If you have none of those, you can't be manipulated. You know, you can't do anything with someone who doesn't want anything and then doesn't want to hide anything. So be wary of anyone coming to you to service a need. Okay, be wary of anyone coming to you with an investment opportunity or a 
you know, or a relationship opportunity or, or anything that might require your resources and investment of time, energy, love, money, anything. Because you haven't gone to them, they came to you. Now, they could be totally legit. Just have your guard up. Be wary. And ask yourself, can I meet this need on my own? Because if the answer is no, if, for example, you're desperate for a partner and you can't feel okay with being single, then you're really at risk here. So if someone's coming to you with the the offer of some form of romantic partnership, that person might be legit, but they could also be a predator who's found what they're looking for. The people who are most desperate are the most susceptible to predators. They get picked the most. Okay. The confident people don't get picked because they're too much work. You know, it's on you to learn about cognitive biases and psychology. You know, start by researching two terms in particular. One, confirmation bias. Go look on YouTube. That's all you need to go. Wikipedia. Learn about how your brain tries to desperately believe what it already believes. And how a psychopath would use this for you to try and keep believing that they're a good person even once the controversial evidence starts to come through. Learn how to counter that. And another one called sunk cost fallacy. What uh, what psychopaths are really good at doing is getting you to invest in them. Time, energy, money. Where you start to get scared that you're not going to get a return on that investment. And they will use that fear to keep you investing. Okay, To sort of sucker you in and hook you. You know, this is how financial schemes work. Stockbrokers will get you to keep reinvesting your stocks and you start to get hooked on the game. Uh, manipulative uh, relationship type person will get you to go and spend lots of time on them and money on them. And you'll be desperate to get something in return for that. You know, if you don't understand the ability or if you don't have the ability to let go of a bad investment, you're going to be a sucker. And on a general level, start to learn about how humans are influenced. Okay, we do not make rational decisions. We make emotional ones. And psychopaths know how to use this. Learn about things like social proof, where we'll believe something just because other people believe it. Learn about physical attraction, where we give someone more credit if we like the way we look. Think about argument tactics. There's a great YouTube channel called Rationality Rules where a guy debunks arguments from other people and just shows you all the secret tactics they use that sound really good, but totally bullshit. Learn how someone, when someone is talking, how to spot the signs of bullshit, because we're actually really not good at that. You'll think you're good at that, and that's what makes you easy to manipulate. But most people don't even know uh, argument fallacies. They can't even tell you what a straw man is, or a steel man, or any of the kind of techniques They'll often be used to convince you, right? Circular arguments, that kind of thing. But ultimately, managing manipulation is all about learning to trust your gut feelings. If after or during spending time with someone, these things regularly come up, these are warning signs. Guilt or low self-worth. Being around someone makes you feel bad about who you are. That's a big warning sign. It doesn't mean the person's a psychopath. It could just be someone who's manipulative. But you're not going to feel that way around people who are healthy for you. Okay. Being uncertain about reality. Confused. You know, you're so sure of something, then you have a conversation, and afterwards all that certainty has gone. Now, it could just be that the person made some really good points and you were wrong. But more likely is the person used tactics to make you doubt yourself so that they can control you. If you're distracted and angry, someone manages to throw you off path all the time, 
to, to get you away from what you need to be looking at, especially when you're starting to confront them about their behavior and they manage to throw you off track. That's a big warning sign. Dramatic highs and lows, where your mood fluctuates wildly depending on how this person treats you. If they can really build you up and really cut you down, that means they're now like inside you, like a hand in a puppet. And of course, fear and intimidation. If it makes you anxious, the thought of seeing someone, if their name coming up on your phone fills you with dread, you know, that's a warning sign as well. You've got to trust your feelings. You're not going to feel this way around someone who's healthy for you. You're just not, unless you've got some psychological disorder perhaps. But generally, if someone's a good, healthy fit for you and treats you with respect and isn't using you, you're not going to have any of those. That being said, a psychopath begins by making you feel good. So there's going to be a lot of that at the beginning, and that's when you need to exercise those prevention techniques. I want to finish by telling you the biggest lesson I ever got in psychopathy. I was managing a guy, and this is a bit of a trigger warning, I think. Uh, if you've got a history of sexual abuse, this is going to be a tough story to listen to, so sign out now. So I was managing a guy. Uh, he was a pedophile. Well, he was he had one pedophile victim. I, for some reason, hadn't got around to reading the full police summary, which is a description of the crime. I just knew he had been done for a sex offence. And there's a huge range of sex offenders. There's some who do something that's so minor it doesn't even traumatise the victim, or people who sort of look at images online, all the way through to the monsters that destroy people with sexual offending. I didn't know which one he was when I first started working with him. You know, the nature of Department of Corrections at the time with being understaffed and all that. We just didn't get around to some things sometimes. This one sl slipped through the gaps for me. I met him, and I think the only way to describe him would be your favorite grandfather. He was a Samoan guy, and his English wasn't great, or at least I was led to believe it wasn't. But he was the most subservient, respectful, eager-to-please person I'd met. You know, I, I'm so used to criminal offenders who give me heaps of shit and yell at me and threaten me and abuse me and trick me. And I had this guy who was just willing to do anything, who arrived early for his appointments, was always smiling, shaking my hand, occasionally complimenting me. You know, he, he just, he, he was the model fucking probationer. You know, he, he just made my job so easy. And he was just so, so submissive. You know, like, I really felt like I was the boss when I was with him, like, and he would call me boss often. I really just had no trouble from him, and he would just do whatever I wanted. Then something happened. I had to go visit him, as we do. We have to go visit these guys at home, see if their home life's all legit, not living with children or whatever. And I went to go visit him, and it had been a really early morning one, and he had already made eggs for breakfast. Now, this was right on the gray area for appropriate behavior. We're not allowed to accept gifts, obvious, for obvious reasons, from criminal offenders, but eggs aren't really a gift. I've had coffee when I've been at guys' places, and that was never a problem. This guy's just made eggs. He's like, oh, you want some? I made some extra eggs. And I actually hadn't had breakfast. I was like, there you go, like ready to be manipulated. I was like, ah, eggs, why not? So I had some eggs. Afterwards, I felt kind of uncomfortable about it. I was like, I probably shouldn't have eaten those eggs. It just doesn't seem right to eat some sex offender's eggs, you know. But this guy's just so legit. He's so clearly not one of the bad ones. But still, it was just poor practice on my part. 
and I went and told my boss about it. And my boss, I can't remember the exact series of events or the chronology of this, but my boss essentially said, yeah, that's probably not a good idea. Maybe it was legit, but he could have been kind of warming you up. And he advised me at some point in time to really read the police summary again. And I realized that I haven't actually finished it. I picked it out of his file and I was surprised at how massive it was. You know, how many pages thick this thing was. They're usually one page or two, but this guy had obviously done some shit because it was like a novel. My first read, I couldn't even finish it because of how sickening it was. I'd worked with some hard-hour pedophiles and sex offenders, rapists, murderers. I'd read some really fucked up stuff. I worked with a guy who would kill people and then fuck their dead bodies. Like, I was pretty immune to stuff, but this guy's one really threw me. Um, for those of you who are aware of Fritzel, Joseph Fritzel, the guy who kept his family in a basement, you know, kept his daughter in a basement as a sex slave, it was similar to that. I'll spare you the gory details, but suffice to say, I couldn't finish it because of how sick I got. And it's actually contributed to me needing counseling later because of the kind of semi-trauma I got from the realization of what people do to each other. He essentially kept a sex slave for almost two decades and it was the most brutal treatment of a human being I'd ever read about in real life. And I just couldn't... I I, I genuinely at one point thought I had got the file wrong because it just it couldn't be this lovely grandfather guy who's always respected me and just been such a a model, fucking easy to work with dude. But it was him. Absolutely it was. And I realized, holy shit, he hasn't done his treatment program yet. So somehow, in all his flattery and easy to work withness, I had somehow neglected to put him on his treatment program. And I couldn't figure out how that happened, because I'm usually so diligent with that. I spoke about it with some psychologist, and I realized, holy shit, I am totally wrong about this guy. My brain still couldn't process it. Like, I knew rationally that this guy is essentially a monster. But when I'm in a room with him, I just couldn't make the connection. It just didn't line up with the guy I'm seeing. You know, if he had tried to start talking me into believing that he'd been falsely accused, I mean, I might have been susceptible. For some reason, he never tried that. But then another incident happened. One is I started to realize that His English got really bad whenever we had to talk about his treatment program. But his English was actually quite good in other times, especially when he wanted something. So I started to realize at least that part was a bit bullshit. And then his kind of facade started to fall apart for me. I started to realize he's a bit more bullshit than I realized uh, at first. And then I went to do another home visit with him later on. And there's the eggs again. Oh no, 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 that's right. This time there wasn't eggs. That's right, and I was kind of like, I was scared of going, because I had to go in the morning again, and I was like, ah, fuck, he's going to do the egg thing again. But he didn't, and I felt relieved. But then the next time he came in, he tried to give me money, because he felt bad about not cooking me eggs. And I was like, oh, wow, he's waited like eight months to try and get me to cross the accepting money line. Like, that is, that is patience. That is, I'm watching masterful manipulation here, like, holy shit. He's really going for it, and if I was the even slightly corrupt, he would have me by now. You know, once you accept money from someone in that sort of position, they can do anything with you after that, because you're fucked. So I took that one to my boss. I said, he tried to give me money. He's like, okay, we've got to watch this guy. Long story short, this guy ended up reoffending right under my watch. He ended up molesting another child who was left in this care. Now, 
Technically, I couldn't have done anything to stop this because you can't watch them every hour of every day. You can't watch what they're doing with other people. He managed to manipulate someone else into leaving a child in his care. I, at this point, I was managing his manipulation quite well, and I had people watching over me to make sure I didn't get got and all that sort of stuff, but he got away with it. And to this day, that kind of haunts me. In one sense, I know I really couldn't have done more. I was up against a, a an expert monster. But in the other, what haunts me, I guess, is not just that somebody else got hurt. It's that, you know, I really was powerless in the face of this guy. He was so convincing. It wasn't like on the movies where the manipulative guy is really obviously manipulative. This guy flew right under my radar. I didn't pick up on any warning signs until it was way too late. He taught me a very valuable lesson in humility. If a psychopath wants to manipulate me, I'm not going to see it happening at first. I have to treat every new person as a potential threat. And it doesn't mean I have to be really guarded and defensive with people. It's quite the opposite. I have to be very open and honest with people. Any little discrepancies, I call them out. I fight every battle that comes my way. If someone new makes me feel weird, I make sure that they know that and everyone else knows that. So it can't develop into anything. So, on that happy note, on that happy story, I want to finish up. I wasn't really going anywhere with this, I don't think. I just wanted to give you guys some insight into psychopathy and really emphasize that you guys will come into contact with these guys and they will try to fuck you. And it's up to how you manage yourself as to whether or not they'll succeed. You can't change them, but you can protect yourself. Hope you find that helpful. If you're someone who's easily manipulated, please get in touch. Dan at brojo.co.nz and we can do some work on that. And I appreciate any comments or share this around if you enjoyed that. Catch you all next time. Cheers. Cheers.